paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. modern-day America, the corporations run our lives. But one man is prepared to take our country back. This summer, meet a superhero like no other. Pooter Tang's one bad brother, man. Pooter Tang with your butt so bad that you can write it off on your taxes. Since the inception of Pooter Tang's ad campaign, sales are down 30%. He steals from me. I want him dead. Dead, dead, Paramount Pictures presents, in association with MTV Films and Chris Rock Productions. We got Pootie Tang in the house tonight. A man too cool for words. So let's listen up to the new record by Pootie Tang. Turn that noise down. Pootie don't need no words, don't even need no music. You could set my body ablaze, you skinny, wonderful man. Lance Crowther. Wanda Sykes. Give me some more of your juicy neck bone one more time. And Chris Rock. Daddy? You damn right I'm your daddy. Pootie Tag. You are funny, man. Side I take. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Mr. Josh Stewart. Mike White, you a baddie daddy lamatai tebichai. Also joining us in the booth is Mr. Mike McGranahan. Thanks for having me here for what is certain to be a wadata to the shamakau. On this episode, we are discussing the 2001 film written and directed by disgraced director Louis C.K. Pootie Tang. The film stars Lance Crowther as the titular Mr. Tang, a martial artist, singer, and potter. We get to see the feature film debut of his film Sign Your Pity on the Running Kind. It's the origin story of how Pootie got to be just so damn bad. We will be spoiling the film as we go along, so if you haven't seen Pootie Tang, please turn off the podcast and come back after you have. We will still be here. So, Mike, when was the first time you saw Pootie Tang, and what did you think? I saw it for the first time when it came out on video, on VHS in 2001. Of course, Paramount dumped it into only 700 theaters in late June of 2001. I wanted to review it at the time, but it wasn't playing near me. So I waited until it came on VHS. And, you know, my first reaction was that this movie is terrible. It's disjointed. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't really have a story. But then I was very caught up with the idea of this character who speaks gibberish. And I found myself quoting some of his lines to my friends. And that grew in my mind. I thought, well, I'm going to watch the movie again to learn some more of the lines. And the second time I saw it, I thought, you know, this is a terrible movie by every conventional method, but 
individual scenes are absolutely hilarious. If you can let go of the idea of a plot and characterization and all those things and just kind of enjoy it on a scene by scene basis, it's actually really funny at times. So that was where my fandom of the movie came from. And Josh, how about yourself? In my case, it was probably a little bit after that. I don't think I saw it until it hit the cable circuit. I think uh, it was probably Showtime was showing Paramount movies back then. I'm pretty sure it rode that wave from uh, theater to cable faster than most did. And it was one of those things where I had no idea what it was when it was coming out. I had no idea what it was going to be when it was on. Even though I'd rent almost everything from the video store, that was one that just didn't make its way across the desk to me somehow. And I, I caught it on cable and I was just dumbfounded. I, I, I didn't know what to expect from a movie called Pootie Tang. <laughs> and still, I, I had no... I was fascinated that it could even exist. Because <laughs> there there was a collection of people who were... There was some that were recognizable, some who weren't. They were very talented that went into making this. It was just one of the most surreal things. And it, it, like my favorite kind of you know, studio movies. It's one of those where you can tell like Freaked or Cabin Boy or something where they've given money to somebody to make something absolutely insane. And then they see the final product and say, Oh no, we're going to bury this. And I've just, I've been fascinated ever since. I definitely saw this on video. The video box just completely grabbed me. I absolutely was just what is this movie? Why does this man have a belt? How is he wielding it like this? Lance Crother being who he is and just looking so damn cool on the cover. I was a little hesitant when it came to Chris Rock being so much a part of this and him being almost as big as Lance on the cover because Chris Rock's track record at this time with movies, and I have to say probably his track record after this with movies as well, it, it's a little touch and go. You know, I love them in uh, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and New Jack City. Not a big fan of like CB4 and some of the other stuff that he did. You know, Beverly Hills Ninja wasn't a big fan of that. Definitely not a fan of uh, Lethal Weapon 4. So he's, he's kind of back and forth for me. And then when he was such a big part of this movie, and I didn't know where this movie came from. This just came from, you know, the heavens opened up and it dropped down as far as I was concerned. I had no idea that Pootie was a character on the Chris Rock show, didn't have HBO at the time, didn't really follow the Chris Rock show. And so I was like, wow, what what is this? Where did this come from? And it just ticked every single box. The throwback to some of the old black exploitation heroes, this whole idea of him, uh, Pootie Tang, being kind of a, almost a pimp-like character, a hero to the people. The dress that he wears, you know, very like Goldie from the Mac, this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, the nonsense stuff that Nobody really questions except for Bob Costas at the end of the film. <laughs> but wow, I, I was just floored by this movie. Have you gone back and watched the uh, the initial appearance of Pootie on Chris Rock's show? It's on YouTube right now. I didn't even know my next guest was in town, but he just dropped by and I'm really excited. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Pootie Tag. show, man. Thanks, baby. Now, Tang on my show. It is so good to see you, Tang. Now, you, you must be doing a promotional tour or something. Yeah. <laughs> now, Pootie, I was 
wondering, what happened to you down by the cutting stop? Oh, uh, Chris, uh, that, that cutting stop beat was bullshit, all right? <laughs> I was just down there, you know, tying in a cloud. Really, really, really? Because everybody said you was crying on the Tammy. <laughs> no, my Damien. That's a water tie to the Samacow. Well, if you say so, Pootie. Sadate. They actually borrow quite a few jokes straight out for, like, the Bob Costas segment of the movie. It's because it's, you know, just an interview. Like, it ends the exact same way as the movie does with the uh, the misstep in his speech. Although, the one in the, the original one's even sillier because it definitely involves, like, the, the phrase pooby face. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah besides that uh there's that and there's a an appearance that they had at i think the mtv video music awards from like 2000 and the crowd went mild they had no idea who the hell booty tang was supposed to be i, I revisited that and it kind of shed some light on the character but it was it was really it's really weird that it, i mean people always rip on like snl movies for dragging a a, a one note character out to 90 minutes and I, I'm surprised that this was something they were able to talk into a feature-length film. Well, more or less a feature-length. Right. I'm trying to remember when things like The Ladies' Man and It's Pat and some of those came out. Yeah, Ladies' Man was right before this. I also went back and rewatched the disastrous Ebert and Roper review, and they name-dropped The Ladies' Man in that one, too. <laughs> Roper just hated the movie. Ebert's review is pretty... Especially the written review he wrote, because it was literally him just saying... This isn't a finished movie. They released something that wasn't done, and I'm pretty sure, more or less, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they released part of a movie. Well, and then, what, Undercover Brother, I think, was the next year? It was like this weird renaissance of faux exploitation comedy-type stuff. Yeah, I always kind of considered Pootie in particular sort of the that mid-step that almost got us to something like Black Dynamite. Yeah, that was probably a reaction to what was going on in the early to mid-90s. You know, we had John Singleton's Boys in the Hood hit really big, and then the Hughes Brothers' Menace to Society and New Jack City and Juice. So we had all of those quote-unquote hood movies, as they were called at the time, come out. And and I think maybe all of the spoofs of black exploitation were a follow-up to that or a response to it in some way. When when the serious heavy dramas kind of fizzled out and stopped being made, people said, okay, now we can go and we can make fun of that idea. And making fun of that idea seemed like a better idea than diving in feet first and just, you know, not giving a shit. Because I think it was 2000, which was the Shaft remake with Samuel L. Jackson, which I just remember being awful. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the original Shaft, even though Shaft, to me, kind of pales in comparison to a lot of the other black exploitation films. But it was a milestone film. And this kind of retread and nods to the past and it felt like it should have been a comedy but wasn't yeah and then they tried to make a comedic shaft back in what was that 2019 and that was just awful oh was that supposed to be a comedy yeah yeah it was a comedy it was directed by i think tim story who mostly did comedic bent stuff i didn't get that from the trailers at all yeah my favorite thing about that series is that you have three i mean i guess it's becoming more common with the way reboots are now but you have three completely different movies over like 40 50 years that are all just titled shaft 
And they're all in the same timeline, technically. Yeah, that's a beautiful mess of a series. Yeah, good luck figuring that out, like those Halloween movies. What's canon now? How does this work? Yeah. No, thank Mm -hmm. you. I'll just stick with the original three films and forget that anything else ever happened. Thank you. Good plan. Thanks. So we do have to talk about Louis C.K., because even though he just fucking won a Grammy for Best Comedy Album, the man was canceled, and canceled for good reason. He's a weenie wagger, and it's like, come on, dude. You really shouldn't be getting away with that. You really shouldn't be getting rewarded for that either. But, I mean, the guy's fucking funny, and I know that he kind of hates this movie because you read stories and he talks about, you know, what you said, Josh, this movie was a half-finished film. I appreciate what came out. I don't know what that other version would be like. I wish I could see it, but yeah, what he gave us, I mean, he is the originator of Pootie Tang. Um, he was working for Chris Rock, working on the Chris Rock show as a writer, and I had forgotten. I mostly am familiar with Louis from obviously his TV show, from a stand-up work. I forget how many things that he had done before that and how many projects he had written. It's just amazing the breadth of his career. Yeah, I, I, I always joke that I feel comfortable enjoying this movie because he hates it, so it's okay. But yeah, he, he really was not the greatest turn of phrase, but he kind of had his, his hands in everything for over the comedy scene for a good 10, 15 years. I remember even going back, I think that documentary on the Dana Carvey show, like he was one of the driving forces behind that. There was so much that he was a part of. But also, the whole time... Half of his comedy was like, hey, I'm a really, like, gross pervert. Watch out, guys. And then, like, what do you know? He was telling the truth. I guess I do feel okay liking this because he does hate it so much. And I don't know. I I rewatched it again just the other day. I know, Mike, you watched it again today. I have to say, I liked it a little bit less this time than I did the first time. I think the very first time I saw it, it was just so outrageous. There are still some moments that really hit But as a cohesive piece, sometimes it doesn't flow as well as I would like it to. I like a lot of the stuff. I especially like all of the stuff with Dirty D and Pootie Tang. When it gets into the stuff with Lecter, the um, corporate bad guy, and Irene, like I like Robert Vaughn a lot. I like Jennifer Coolidge a lot. I don't know if Jennifer Coolidge was the best choice for the Irene character because it feels like I know she was Stifler's mom, and people were really digging at Jennifer Coolidge at the time, but it's like, I would think more like the Jenny McCarthy character from Basketball. And I think there are some times where I actually mix this movie up with Basketball just because of Bob Costas and then Robert Vaughn, because they're both in that film as well. And I think there was only like a three-year difference between the two films as well. It was really weird to see those sort of later years of Robert Vaughn's career, because like, wasn't he like one of the Magnificent Seven? Like he was a name, and then he just sort of rounded out his career playing the honky heavy in some goofy movies that they have lasting power for us, but they they were hardly what he was, you know, really probably wanting to be remembered for. <laughs> Still better than Superman three, though. You're Mister Big, but I thought you were what above playing an exploitation villain. Well, you're wrong. Lots of famous people have done exploitation movies. Uh, Shelley Winters was in the... Cleopatra Jones. Uh, 
Angie Dickinson. Uh, uh, Big Bad Mama. Big Bad Mama, Jamie Lee Curtis. Halloween! Right, right, right. And now, I'm Mr. Big. And I'm sorry, boys, but there ain't gonna be a sequel to this one. I would love to have been a fly on the set the day that they have that scene there towards the end with all the other Pootie Tangs. And Robert Vaughn has to speak in Pootie gibberish. You know, here's this guy who has had this acclaimed career, and then he's he's spewing this nonsense. You got to wonder what was going through his head, whether he thought, well, this is a chance for me to be funny, or whether he thought, holy shit, what has my career come to? There are a lot of stories about how this movie was taken away from Louis C.K. and that he wasn't happy about it. And the cut that came out was so different from his original vision. And we can definitely talk about that. Mike, you read the script. Josh, I'm not sure if you got a chance to read it. I got about a quarter of the way in and I was I was pretty, pretty fascinated. <laughs> in my opinion, the script wasn't majorly different from the movie that we got. There are a few different scenes here and there, but really the beats follow. It felt like there was just emphasis they weren't able to get down. Like it seemed like the action beats they wanted to be a little bit stronger than they were. And there were character moments, but it, it, it's kind of there. <laughs> and it's out of order, too. Right. Yeah. The scenes from the movie are in there, but they're in different places in the script. So it kind of feels like Edward Scissorhands was the editor and just said, I'm going to take the scene from the middle and put it at the beginning. And I'm going to take this scene from the beginning and put it towards the end. And there were at least two scenes just in what I read that only showed up in the end credits. You know, the Chucky, uh, it's hot, too. <laughs> like, or no, not Chucky, uh, JB and... Oh, what's the other one? I, I forget his name. You know, him him repeating, you know, it's hot too. That's the intro to the movie, and it's literally the outro for the characters at the end. And the whole scene with very young Kristen Bell that got cut, like, that was supposed to be really early too. It feels like whoever ended up editing the movie didn't think that the scenes were worth putting in, but then they realized uh, without that you had a 60-minute movie. Yeah, and then they bring in J.B. Smoove to record this completely nonsensical voiceover and an attempt to string all of these scenes that are out of order into something that feels like it's supposed to be cohesive. And that just really makes everything more convoluted as far as I'm concerned. His, his voiceover does nothing. He's really good. And there are moments, though, that are really funny. I love the one scene where he's just saying things and then immediately, like, repeating them in the scene. Cody was headed to the phone. I wanted to go with him. I'm going to go with you, brother. Because everything that happened was all my fault. What is it? Everything that happened, man, it, it's, it's all my fault. I told that bitch all these things about him. this bitch all these things about you, man. And she just used she it against him. Used him against you. I, I was yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm so sorry. It was killing me. It was killing me. I only did it for the ass. I only did it for the ass, you understand? <laughs> that Derry Terry was all a diny, huh? <laughs> I felt like he saved my life. Pootie, man, I just feel like... You saved my life. And I messed his all up. Now I messed yours all up. I want him to forgive me. Can you ever forgive me, man? That works for me. But yeah, otherwise, the rest of the movie, it's only there because either they think we are too stupid to follow it or it's incoherent enough that we can't follow it. Because there are moments where you can tell the editors thought that the audience might be stupid because there's a moment where they introduce a character and then, like, one scene later... They have they put that name of the character on the screen again, like remember, <laughs> like yeah, they were in the last scene. <laughs> yeah, there's a that moment too where he's talking about something and the word comes up on screen. I'm like, 
okay, that's interesting. That wasn't in the script. Because, yeah, all of that voiceover stuff is completely new. The stuff with um, Pooty when he goes out to the farm and is raising that corn, I think that's new to the film. And he still has the vision of his mom and dad, but his dad is not a stalk of corn and his mom is not a cow. I think the mom is just in a rocking chair and she's this ghostly figure. I kind of like her as the cow and him as the corn. I thought that actually mm-hmm. kind of worked pretty well, especially since he's working so much trying to get that one stalk of corn to grow. And just that becomes like this metaphor for him coming back on this road to recovery and becoming pooty again and learning that, the belt doesn't have all the power that the power is in him all along. I mean, that's one of those core lessons that our heroes have to learn. And I appreciate the way it played out in the movie because it added to that sense of surrealism that I think is what makes it work for us too. If it were just a vision, you know, that's one thing, but corn and a, and a cow, that's, that's way funnier because <laughs> it's just completely unnecessary. But I think somebody just wanted to dress Chris Rock up. As a stock of corn. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <Yeah>, why not? <laughs> hey, you know, hey, have you guys heard any good news stories about Chris Rock lately? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> okay, then we'll just leave it at that. What is it going to be like living the rest of your life as the guy that Will Smith smacked? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be weird, right? Yeah, it's more weird than anything. I don't know why everyone has to take a side on this. It was just weird. And that's all I can think of about it. Yeah, I'm not going to say who's right, who's wrong. I just, it was such a fucked up incident. But yeah, just that, that, that he's going to be that guy for the rest of his life. Like, I just saw tickets available for his show in Vegas. And I'm like, how much of his show now is going to be talking about that? Is that going to be his part of his bit for the rest of his life? And I remember people saying like, well, he, you know, he could still press charges. Like, this man resurrected the Saw franchise to make a movie about how much he hates cops. He's not pressing charges. <laughs> This was probably my first experience with Wanda Sykes, and now knowing what I know about Wanda Sykes, it's kind of funny how much she is just crawling all over Pootie Tang and just lusting after him, and I'm like, girl, you're not really interested in this skinny man, are you? That is called top-tier acting. She she went for it all the way, and it's totally believable. And I, one other note, specific note I got when I was going through what I read of the script, though, was that they outward like in the movie it's just Pootie dodging women but in the script i think trucky openly refers to him as like intentionally chased I, that almost would have would have been more interesting to leave in there like it's to, to just spell it out i don't know because otherwise it just feels kind of weird because you don't know if he's played around at all or if he's just you know trying to do it less like that's never fully defined other than you know him dodging every woman that comes at him And you really don't get to see that much interaction other than that one girl in the elevator that's just all over him and that he puts out a bowl of milk for. (laughs) Yeah, Pootie's kind of a kind of a dick at times. That was the moment where the movie won me over, though, because I just I was trying to figure out the point where in your brain do you have to go to think that the appropriate reaction to to something like that is to. Just slip out a saucer full of milk. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine the brainwaves that were required for that scene to exist. And, you know, God bless that poor woman for absolutely going for it, too. <laughs> I mean, but the scenes that got me were 
really the interview sections with Bob Costas that bookend the film. And I'm so glad that they go back to that at the end. And I'm glad that they make a joke that, you know, the movie was originally supposed to be Pootie Tang in Sign Your Pity on the Running Kind. And then they change it to be just Pootie Tang. And then it's him and Bob Costas at the beginning and introducing a clip from Sign Your Pity on the Running Kind. And I think at one point they go back to them and then they go back to the movie. And then at the end, he's just like, what? That's the longest clip I've ever seen for a film. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good joke. It's a great joke. I love it. So there's too many times where movies start with a framing device and they forget about it. And it's like, wait, what what happened to that? You know, like it's an Aladdin, right? Like what happened to that merchant that was telling the story at the beginning of Aladdin? We never go back to him at the end. Between this and basketball, Bob Costas is so good at just stone-faced selling this ridiculous crap. A total professional all the way. Because I'm sure that, you know, years of broadcasting, like, there has to be plenty of more ridiculous real-life stuff he's had to play down. <laughs> so, you know, it com- it, it just it's so natural. I, I don't even know why it's Bob Costas. He's not a sports figure. <laughs> that adds to the ridiculousness of the whole thing. Other than, oh, he had an HBO show, too. You probably have heard I've screwed up his name a few times because whenever I hear his name, I always think about a skit from SNL where overpronouncing anything that sounded Spanish at all. Okay, all right. Who had the uh, enchiladas? Oh, yes. Okay. We also have a uh, combination bean burrito and chili con carne. Antonio, you're welcome to have my chili con carne. <laughs> No, thanks. Say, so you guys really like Latino food, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. Hey, Bob! Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Bob, I heard you had some enchiladas. Oh, man. We've got some dynamite chimichangas, too. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Can I dig in? Sure. Bob, this is our economics correspondent, Antonio Mendoza. Oh, hi. Antonio Mendoza. Well, nice Antonio, to meet you. Bob Costas. So, Bob, have you got any hot picks for us this weekend? Well, I like the Broncos. <laughs> the Broncos? You're nuts. No way the Broncos beat San Diego in San Diego. You're out of your mind. Oh, fine. And this is the guy who picked Tampa Bay by six over San Francisco. Okay, okay. It was nice to see David Tell in this. I hadn't seen him in years. So that was kind of cool. Remember when he had like a late night show or something? Yeah, Insomnia. Oh, that was the thing. I I think also a lot of the reviewing I had of this movie was I feel like it was also one of those Comedy Central staples in the 2000s. Because there were just so many people in the movie who were on the network anyway. So it, you know, it was a perfect fit for them to to kill time. Uh, we'll we'll save David Cross for when we get to that point in the movie, but yeah, he's another one that, yeah, seeing him his appearance plays a little differently now. I think he's probably glad that this movie has come and gone. It was nice seeing JB Smoove in this. You mentioned him earlier, and JB Smoove is good in small doses. I think this is the the most I can take of JB Smoove. Let me let me take that back because it's sometimes in small doses he's absolutely terrible i'm thinking of those caesar casino commercials that he's in 
Those are some of the worst things that I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know if you guys have those in your necks of the woods, but here? No clue. Does not ring a bell. So they legalized online gambling here in Michigan. I didn't even know that they did. And all of a sudden, we start getting all these like sports book and fan duel and all these kind of commercials. And there's this whole series of commercials where JB Smoove plays Caesar and Patton Oswald plays basically like a fan. And the, oh man, they're awful. And JB Smoove is just very, very loud in all of these commercials. want to make sure you're saying on my first bet the caesar sportsbook app will cover any loss up to five thousand dollars yeah carl that's why i released those five thousand dollars five thousand dollars you're sure about that because that sounds carl are you paying attention the deal is good for all new customers except carl everybody give it up for the caesar sportsbook app everybody except carl you know, normally they pump up the volume of commercials. It's like they pump it up twice as much. And he just is super, super loud in all of these things and just very almost monotone loud. It's just like he's screaming at you the whole time. And it's just, ugh. it was kind of like his role when he was hosting the new match game, which I love match game, but with him as a, a, a panelist or host i can't even remember what he was on there but i turned it off almost immediately i think it was alec baldwin as the host and then jb smooth was one of the contestants kind of a richard dawson type always there and good night i was i was done with it by the end of the first episode yeah i totally missed that without charles nelson riley i just couldn't how much could i care him and brett just going back and forth and yeah you can't replicate that but they keep trying Alec Baldwin as the host. Good, good, good move. We're talking about all kinds of great people tonight. Oh, boy. But I like him in this role. And to your point, I do really like that whole thing of him echoing himself. I know some people had complaints. I think it might have even been Louis C.K. himself about the way that J.B. Smoove's character, Trucky, would undercut the narrative at times. What's he doing crying over that damn stock of corn? Like some of those things are just like kind of making fun of Pootie, taking the wind out of Pootie's sails. I'm not sure if I mind that or not, just because Pootie is kind of, he's a silly character a lot of times. I mean, the guy does speak in gibberish, wears outlandish clothes, fights people with a belt, is able to dodge bullets with his braids and stuff. I like that he is somebody that you can make fun of in your own movie about how cool this guy is. You know, the whole movie is absurd. So him intruding to sort of make fun of Pootie, I think that's how people would react to somebody like that. You know, the character doesn't entirely know what to make of him. And that kind of comes across in his little intrusions. It certainly goes against the standard of what one would normally expect from, you know, a narrator in general. <laughs> you know, even one who's supposed to be, you know, his best friend. He's just showing up to make fun of him. Like, it's 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 refreshing in its own way, even if most of it's totally unnecessary. I can't really imagine a movie without it. God willing, you know, someday they can prove me wrong and dig out the other version from the vaults. But I'm expecting the day the clown cried sooner <laughs> at this point. Yeah, let's talk about that other version. So, as far as I know, there's one person that has a copy of it. That's Larry Karaszewski from uh, Ed Wood and uh, what's his latest one? Um, Impeachment, that whole American crime story stuff. He did Dolomite is my name. 
what was it? At some point, he posted a picture of his video shelf or something on Twitter, and he had right. the original version of Pootie Tang on there. And I reached out to him because he's been on the show, and he told me flat out no. And he's like, I never should have posted that picture because I think he's gotten a lot of requests for it. I think this movie is a lot more popular than people give it credit for. Well, like I said, a whole generation of us dumb kids, you know, grew up watching it probably once a week on Comedy Central or Showtime. So it's surprising how for a movie that was a spectacular bomb, if I mention it to anyone, immediately they just drop a sadate. People know. And it's it's fascinating that they know because it feels like they shouldn't. From the numbers, you would think five people saw this and maybe that's what it was. And, and Mike, you talked about how they dumped it at the theater. Paramount had no belief in this. From what I understand, they wanted another Austin Powers. And here you have the exact opposite. This character is chased. You know, he's not out there. He, I mean, he basically loses his mojo when he loses his belt, but then he gets his mojo back by learning that it was in his heart all this time. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that other version. So no one is going on record to talk about this movie. No one. I even tweeted JB Smoove the other day. He even responded, but basically it was just like, get a load of this guy. Yeah, he not only responded, he quote tweeted it so everyone could see it. And he just, I, I think he just said, hilarious. Lance won't talk about it. No one that I reached out to, and I reached out to a lot of people on this, and no one would go on record. But there were some people that maybe spoke off the record. The story behind this movie feels like that should be Larry's next project, just because this is not necessarily to the level of the disaster artist, but just some of the stories behind here. Because we know, we know now that Louis C.K., kind of a troubled individual, from what I've been told, when he was making this movie, it sounded like he basically hated Pootie. And most of the scenes or half of the scenes that were in the film basically were pointing out how, you know, I was just talking about how ridiculous Pootie is, but just to the point of look at how awful this man is and wanting us, the audience, to hate Pootie half of the time. Why would you necessarily want to do that to your main character? It, it just feels like a really weird decision. I mean, we all have known somebody like that in our lives where – Everybody thinks he's the coolest guy, and you're like, well, I don't think he's so fucking cool. I don't understand why everybody loves this guy. And I'm certain that that, that kind of mentality maybe had to go into it somewhere. Because, you know, so much of the movie is everyone just talking about how cool he is. It almost does feel like there should be a detraction of at least that one person. I mean, I guess you've got, you know, Dirty D who hates him because he's Dirty D, damn it. There's never really that detractor in his life, that one person who hates him more than anything else, and nobody else can see it. And I guess that person was just Louis C.K. We haven't talked about Pootie Tang's big hit song, where he goes into the studio and turns down the levels on all the musical instruments. That scene in the movie. Goes into the booth and starts belting out a song with absolutely no lyrics, no sound coming out of this man whatsoever. And then he collapses. He's spent at the end of it. And everyone is so happy about this song. And when the DJ also played by Chris Rock plays it on the air, people go fucking ape shit about this song. (laughs) 
And that's that emperor has no clothes moment for me is I am, I was like you guys, I was waiting for like, is there going to be somebody that says, Hey, what's going on with this song? Kind of like Bob Costas calls him out at the end for fucking up his own language at one point, but it's like, okay, no, that's not going to happen. It cracked me up when I found out who the role model for Pootie Tang is. This has just been going through my head the entire time since I found this out, that Pootie Tang is partially based on Lenny Kravitz. What? (laughs) I can see it. I can see that. If there's anybody who ever thought he was too cool for school, it's it's definitely him. (laughs) I bet you I said that, and you thought of that picture of him in that big fucking scarf, didn't you? I did. Yeah, even dress-wise, it's not that far off. No, it's not. Right? (laughs) And that scene is the example I give when people ask me, why do you love Pootie Tang? That's a great scene, and it has a brilliant capper, which is, like like you said, everybody's listening to it, but there's a a young boy who's in his room listening to it, and the father opens the door and says, would you turn off that damn noise? That is a brilliant joke. The rest of the movie doesn't make any sense, but there's moments like that throughout it that are so clever and so ingeniously conceived. Yeah, that's an incredible moment all on its own. I feel like that was the big movie trailer moment, too. That was the one scene they did play into because it was undeniably funny. But even funnier than that, you know, that scene may be pointing out what a an egotist artist he might be. I've heard people in recent years... Uh, literally make, you know, like share memes making jokes like, you know, oh, Kanye West, one day he's just going to release an album with no music whatsoever on and y'all are going to buy it. And I was like, that's just Pootie Tang. Literally a scene from Pootie Tang. Come on. Yeah. Had you told me that Pootie Tang's role model or that w- was modeled off of Kanye? I mean, but I think this was before Kanye was Kanye. I mean, this whole thing of Kanye changing his name all the time, adopting these different personalities. I mean, it feels very Pootie Tang. He does make up some silly words from time to time, too. I've read weird shit being quoted from his lyrics online. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? And then I'll have to look it up and be like, oh, it's the new Yeezy album or whatever, whatever name he's going by this week. There's one whole song where he has just an entire digression in the song where he just says variations on the phrase like poop de poop scoop scoop de poop de poop. Like, it's ridiculous. And it sounds like if I told you that, you'd tell me I was making it up. But it's it's real and I've heard it. Poopy dee scoop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Poop dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop. Whoopy dee scoop whoop poop. Poop dee dee whoop scoop. Poop. Poop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee dee scoop. Whoop dee dee scoop poop. Damn, this is good. Man, food it, I did it again. Frankly, I actually really like Lenny Kravitz. His first two, maybe three albums, I really got into when I was in high school and college. Went to see him when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Really enjoyed the show, but I can kind of see it, though. When I found out that he was kind of the inspiration for Pootie, I was like, okay. But yeah, just that CK, Louis CK basically was like, uh, this is a hit piece <laughs> on, on Lenny Kravitz. I'm like, what? How can that well, be? In, in that sense, I think Lance Crowther was was the reason it doesn't work. You know, Louis C.K. may have wanted to make fun of Pootie, but Lance Crowther is so likable 
as Pootie. And the way he delivers those lines, you can't help but fall in love with him. So that completely obliterates any efforts to make Pootie look bad or to criticize him. You know, we, we like that character immediately. Yeah, I was thinking, like, the most incredible thing about the movie is his is him. Because he's, you know, to to the general public, kind of completely unknown outside of the Chris Rock show. You know, I think, I assume he was more kind of a behind-the-scenes guy, but he's really, like, charismatic and really magnetic, and I would have liked to have seen him do more stuff. But, you know, he, he just decided to star in one major motion picture, it bombed, and then he, I guess, went back behind the scenes. Yeah, his credits are bad dude number one in class act or well-dressed man in cb4 he is the titular pootie tang after that and then to your point boom good luck finding him ever again and yeah he's still writing thank goodness but gosh yeah i would have loved to have seen more because he is so charismatic and yeah you're right he holds the whole movie together and you really genuinely believe when they're talking about how he's doing these PSAs and talking about how you shouldn't eat fast food or drink or smoke or any of these things, and all of Lecter's profits are going down the tubes. It's almost a little too much at times to have, well, I guess it's okay, but like to have the Dirty D story and the Lecter story, and I'm glad when they team up towards the end and they arm Dirty D with the belt and all that. I thought that was actually pretty well done. And I love the standoff between those two at the end, especially when they're doing that whole thing of them getting closer to each other to the point where they're standing with their arms and then behind the back. The peak surrealism of the movie, I think, is that scene. Like, there was that period of time where I watched the movie a bunch, and then for like a good five to ten years, I completely forgot about it. And that scene would always pop into my head, and I couldn't remember what it was from. <laughs> I just remembered these two guys phasing through each other's body. When I finally rediscovered Pootie Tang, because believe it or not, for years, the DVD was like 50 bucks. They've had to go back and reprint it. They don't want to admit it, but it's happened. And now it's, you know, you can watch it legally for free on YouTube. They want everyone to see it. There's just so many weird moments in this that, that'll stick with you, even if you're not paying proper attention. I own the Blu-ray, and I don't think there's any extras on it. I don't even know if it has the trailer on it. It could be that the extras are menus. I was laughing today because there's a new version of Cockfighter coming out from Scream Factory, and the extras are theatrical trailer. Wow, I really want to shell out for that. Thank you very much. Like, I'm sure it'll look nice, but, you know, if you're going to do that, it better be like 10 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, where's all the Chris Rock bits that were the origins of Pootie Tang? You know, any of the... Behind the scenes, I mean, God, it, like I said, you could probably make a really fucking good documentary about the making of this movie just because there's so much bad blood about it. If anyone is going to ever agree to talk about it on camera, ever. Yeah, it'll take another, another 10, 20 years, and then we'll see what happens. I mentioned before, but Cabin Boy, that one got a pretty amazing special edition, you know, years down the line, and that was... For some reason, one of the most reviled movies in the history of the 90s. Which doesn't make any sense. It's a great movie. Sometimes people just aren't ready for something different. Well, at least everybody behind that movie seems to have gotten along, and everybody kind of stands by it. That's the major difference, is that they all made the piece of art that they wanted to make, and the studio just said, well, that's cool. <laughs> Too bad. I don't think that we have a tampered 
cabin boy that what we've seen is pure but yeah to your point hell if they can uh, restore other side of the wind you know complete that where's that restoration of uh pootie tang man you know come on bob morowski get on there technically all we've seen is a very extended clip of it shown on the bob costa show technically it's never been released <laughs> i think that's what gets people about it i look at it kind of differently as a film critic because that was not something that they wanted us to see. And, you know, they, they hid it from film critics. They didn't screen it for us. It's such a mess. You know, it's unusual to have a major studio like Paramount drop a movie into very few theaters when it stars a name like Chris Rock to not promote it. And then when you go and see it to see that it is a very visible mess, you know, and you have to wonder why. I mean, it was obviously contractual. Paramount probably didn't want to release it, but they had a contract to. And so they slapped it out there. And we don't get that kind of catastrophe very often. And I think that's a big part of what draws people to the film. You want to see it to see, is it really as bad as its reputation suggests? Or is it really as bad as Paramount treated it? Did it deserve that kind of treatment? And for most people, I think they look at the film and they say, well, no, it is kind of funny at times. And that makes people a little bit affectionate toward it. You know, rather than looking at it as a piece of shit or something that didn't work, you kind of want to look for something nice in it because it was treated like the bastard child by Paramount. I'm sure you guys have seen the early trailer of Pootie Tang, the unreleased trailer where... That's weird. Right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of it is right there in the movie and other parts mm -hmm. nope nowhere to be found Pootie Tang is going to sign your pity on the runny kind get that Pootie Pootie Tang Pootie that's the can of pain all the way down who the hell is Pootie Tang Pootie Tang is a bad brother, man. Pootie Tang whipped your ass so bad that you could write it off on your taxes. You what a time. Pootie Tang is a cryedy pooster. Who the hell is Pootie Tang? Pootie, you the sexiest bastard on God's green earth. <laughs> yeah. Got too much of the love for it, ain't Set a girl on fire, burn her to death. So you better wop a tie to the Bammies. Pootie Tang don't wop a tie to the shame account. People love the Pootie Tang. Hey, I love him dead. Why? Cause he Pootie Tang! Cause he Pootie Tang! <laughs> oh, yes. That is true. The Cami Towns are bitty on the panties tie. I'm gonna make people love me. Pretty dear love me. Yeah, baby. I'm a tiny cabin. Pootie Tang is a coal moldy. I sure would be mighty proud to have you for a summer ball. And that ain't Pootie Tang. That's Doody Tang. In. I'm gonna sign.
find your pity on the running kind. It's not an appealing trailer at all. That trailer does not make you want to sit and watch the movie. It definitely almost felt like more of a proof of concept than anything. Yeah, if, if anything, I thought that this would have been, you know, like with um, Orgasmo, where they're like, oh, we're going to shoot this early trailer completely fake. Black Dynamite did that too, actually. Tried to sell it to somebody, and you got a lot of scenes in this that are right out of the final film. I do love, though, all the way through, even though they had to make it the movie within the movie, they still had to make that title, Sign Your Pity on the Runny Kind, as though that was that's that's the clincher right there. Without that, it's nothing. <laughs> that's that's the title, guys. I never got that either, that that is him saying to women that he's going to have sex with them, because in the screenplay that I was reading, it was right before he and Irene do it, and then right before he and the farmer, or sorry, sheriff's daughter do it, that he says, I'm going to sign your pity on the running kind. And I do love that his language actually has pattern to it that he will use the same phrases and stuff and like you know you can almost do like a pooty to english dictionary at times it's like yeah there's yeah he always makes sense even if it's just the beauty of his delivery he always makes sense although there are just as well moments where you know he says nothing and like i think one of my favorite moments in the movie is is a completely silent uh where uh they're talking about the party uh, that night, and Chris Rock yells, "Yo, there's gonna be some bitches in there!" And he just slyly slaps him and looks the other way. And he's like, "You're right, you're right. <laughs> be, be kind of, be kind of the women." The way he plays that off with just a, he, he looks depressed that his friend used the language, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> and like I said, that's why I'm I'm honestly sad that this guy wasn't in more stuff because his timing is incredible. We, we did hint earlier about the uh, the David Cross appearance. Oh, and yeah. how he, you know, he hosts a how to be Pootie Tang video. And and remember, when making a public appearance, Pootie Tang always struts like this. He's not just dressed like him. They they color him up a little bit. And that, that oof. like, I understand what they're getting at. But, you know, even, you know, just 21 years later, there's no way in hell you would get away with that now. I don't know how they got away with it then. Yeah, it's not Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. I want to assume that, like, you know, David Cross is obviously, he's got to be on the right side of things. Like, you know, he, he you know, did, like, Sorry to Bother You, where it's kind of the same joke, almost. Seeing that is, every time, is a, a little more jarring than the last. Yeah, you're right. I was definitely thinking about Sorry to Bother You when I saw that again, because I forgot that he was in there. I forgot that there is this whole army of fake pooties uh that he has to fight towards the end and then yeah david cross with the black face basically and the wig and all that and when he starts you know pootie walks like this because he just he's the whitest white man with that voice he he's who you call him and pat Oswalt, which is exactly what they did for sorry to bother you total sense yeah <laughs> and that scene is really kind of a ripoff of silver streak where richard pryor smears the shoe polish on Gene Wilder and teaches him how to walk. Says we gotta make him think you're black. I mean that the David Cross thing is kind of similar to that. I will say that the one line that always I don't know why, it's not even a a funny line, but just his delivery when they're saying that he's duty tang and he just goes, No, yes, I'm booty. Like <laughs> that's the one moment of his that really gets me still. 
It's it's such a such a good delivery. <laughs> I don't know if anybody is listening to this that hasn't seen the movie, but the movie became a punchline in multiple other films. You know, it's a, it had such a horrible reputation that I think what was it? One of the scary movies or something where it was like Yeah, it was it was Scary Movie 3 in the immortal George Carlin had to make a joke about Booty Tang. My wife and I wanted a child, but she couldn't get pregnant. Neither could I. So you adopted? We loved our daughter, but she was evil. Made the horses crazy, killed our puppies, hid the remote. Really sick shit. My wife took her to the old family farm and drowned her in a well. I felt a simple timeout would have been sufficient. But Tabitha imprinted her evil on a videotape. I never meant for it to get out, but... But what? I put it in the wrong box and returned it to Blockbuster, instead of my copy of Pootie Tang. And it's been circulating and killing ever since. Just like Pootie Tang. Even though I didn't enjoy it as much the other night when I watched it, and my wife was just like, why are we watching this again? (laughs) (laughs) I still like this. I still really like this. It's just, it hits all those different beats, you know, that I I really enjoy so much. There's something to it, even if it's not plainly evident. Like I said, just that weirdness. They tried something different, even if the man appropriately enough, uh, tried to stop it from happening. Rated X by an all-white jury. The mess of it actually contributes to it. I mean, the thing people who haven't seen it should understand is that the end credits roll at the 70-minute mark. It's an 81-minute movie, so there's like 11 minutes of end credits and bloopers and stuff like that, and then there's also a music video at the beginning and the end. So the actual movie itself is probably only like an hour but that contributes to the overall hypnotic weirdness of the movie. The fact that, that they throw graphics up on the screen to try to explain things and they have this weird voiceover and they rewind things and they replay things again. I mean, it all just kind of adds to the effect of it. That kind of benefits the whole black exploitation parody because if you go back and watch Dolomite, Dolomite has some of the strange, same strange, what the hell am I watching? This is very disjointed kind of feel to it so in a way the flaws help the movie and we should say too that this wasn't all paramount saying we are taking this away and recutting it i think it was his own producers that were saying we're taking this away and recutting it it wasn't just the mucky mucks it sounds like everybody once they had i think there was a very disastrous uh screening of this and when people saw it and saw what it was they said, what the fuck? If, if memory serves, the story that was told to me was when they were watching it being filmed, it was hilarious and everything just seemed to make a lot of sense. When it was cut together and they saw it at this early test screening, it was a absolute freaking disaster. And Louis was like, no, you cannot touch a frame of my movie. And that's when they said, no, we need to save this thing, save you from yourself, basically. And we're going to do some stuff to this. And yeah, I don't think it was all just a Paramount coming in and shutting it down. I think it was more like some of the people that are in the producer role saying, yeah, we got to do this thing. We cannot just allow this to go out the way that it is. They should have. I don't get that because it, I don't it, get it either. It tanked. It's considered a terrible movie. So 
put out the original. Clearly, they did such a good job fixing the movie that everyone loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it clearly didn't work, and it wasn't a box office hit. It made $3 million at the box office. Yeah, what I'm curious is who had faith in it in the first place, because Wikipedia is not always to be trusted, but it does attribute a link to an episode of Mark Maron's podcast where... I guess Louis C.K. talked about it, and he said originally it was going to be in the Paramount Classics division, which would have been like the more, you know, underfunded indie things, and somebody bumped it up to a main Paramount feature, which I'm curious who was involved in that and what they saw in this that made them think that was, this needed to be, you know, top-tier, frontline Paramount instead. Why was this Paramount and not MTV Films? They were part of this, right? MTV Films? Yeah, and and it very much feels like... Well, I, and again, Robert Vaughn was in the first MTV film, uh, Joe's Apartment. He was the bad guy in that, too, I think. Way to connect the dots there, Josh. You know, I, I remember a lot of bad 90s comedies really well, because that was that was my bread and butter back then. <laughs> it feels like they should have just left this to Paramount and to Chris Rock's company and just let them be. Like, let them do what they want to do. Because, yeah, the budget's minuscule. It's not like they're risking tens of millions of dollars on this thing they probably spent you know five dollars on the poster design and they're lucky if they got that the upside though is that you know since it's so disjointed we can talk about any part of it and it doesn't really matter what we already have and haven't discussed (laughs) i'm still trying to figure out the entire plot line with the sheriff and the daughter and what was i was that supposed to like subvert expectations because usually you know, like, go back to Human Tornado, <laughs> and you get, you know, the racist cop, and, and you know, it, Dolomite Bane's wife, and all that stuff, and in this, you have, you know, the subversion of that expectation, I guess, where, you know, he wants him to marry his daughter, <laughs> which I, you know, I definitely didn't expect that. <laughs> I was shocked when I looked up that actress to find out that she passed away just last year, and she was definitely not that old, and I'm just like how did that happen so i was looking to see if it was covid related and it was undisclosed causes but yeah she was 40 at the time i think she she was born in 1970 so she's just a few oh i guess she was about 50 something so I, i forget that i just turned 50 as well so she was just a little bit older than me and weirdly she was married to peter scolari must have been kind of a december thing going on there who also died last year just a couple months after her they weren't married like when they you know each of they died but it was strange that they were together i wonder if he ever took a cherry pie and (laughs) used it to seduce her and if they ever crashed through a window together like booty tang (laughs) that window crash is so good (laughs) (laughs) it's so out of nowhere i mean the whole thing with that seduction, it just could not be more ludicrous. That was also a case, though, where they keep trying to play up like she's some kind of homely thing. She's not. That oh, girl was God, cute. yeah, she's super cute. Get, get out of here, movie. Yeah. I mean, I personally thought she was a lot cuter than Irene was. And All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to bag on Jennifer Coolidge at all. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. But I just thought that she was the wrong person for that role. I Again, I think she was just hot at the time. Not hot as in looks. Like, she was hot as in looks, but she's still hot now, but she was a very hot property because of those American pie movies. Yeah. Those in the, the Christopher guest movies around the same time too. 
Yeah, because I think a mighty wind was just a couple years after this, and so she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was right after Best in Show, I think. God, yeah, she yeah. was just like on fire really at that time. Around that time. American Pie was ninety nine. I mean, mm-hmm. and now she's working for Mike White, not me. She got shortchanged by the movie though, because you know her character comes in out of nowhere, and they literally have to have JB Smoove come in and tell you who she is. And, and I kind of wonder. That's you know what? That's it. the one. Now that I remember, that's the one where you see her in one scene, and then like two scenes later, it just literally says on the screen, "Irene, remember?" <laughs> right, because they know that they have not set her up. She's just dropped in out of nowhere, and we don't know who she is or what her motivation is or anything. So I, I think the movie really does her a disservice. She's just there to to be the devil woman with no real character. Does she get her comeuppance in the movie? Yeah, um, Biggie Shorty smacks her. They go to the apartment, and Biggie Shorty whacks yeah, her. Yeah, she 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 tracks her down at the end. That's right, and just delivers one smack. And isn't that when they start? That's like in the middle of the what hap- the the Animal House recap, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm glad that they gave this an Animal House ending so that we could keep up on these characters. And I really regret that they didn't do what was uh, the the sequel was. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. like like a James Bond movie. Call yeah. me down on the panty sty. I'd watch it. Which is not to be confused with the much more toxic phrase, call me on the panty sty. Pootie Tang, it's been Betty having you by. Oh, Bob, I Dave Samey, my brother. I Dave Samey. Call me on the panty sty. I'm sorry, what was that? Call. Call me on the panty sty. What the hell are you talking about? Call me down on the panty style. Oh, call me down on the panty style. Yeah. All right. Thank you, <laughs> Yeah, Tang. baby, yeah. Thank you, Foodie. <laughs> it's weird that Andy Richter's there in like an almost blink-and-you-miss-it cameo, like rather than – because he's in that trailer that we were talking about. He has a close-up, and he's barely in the movie. Even more surreal to me was that He's in the movie as a character, and Conan O'Brien is in the movie as Conan O'Brien on screen. That threw me for yeah, almost within seconds of each other, which was very, uh, very confusing for a moment. I kept looking to see if that shot of Pootie and Gwyneth Paltrow was fake, but I'm like, no, that looks like it's real. Yeah, Pootie, Pootie knows all about the goop. <laughs> <laughs> That's where she got the name. It was just a Pootie Tang expression. And we were talking a little bit before we recorded as far as the soundtrack, and the soundtrack, it's tough to find, but it is out there, so... Yeah, I would love to get my hands... I mean, we got, you know, two songs about about Pootie Tang from girl group 702. Uh, my favorite thing, noticing as the credits scrolled last time, I don't know where it is in the movie, there is a song on the soundtrack by the one and only Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, the, the soundtrack is as bizarre as the movie itself, just with that alone. But yeah, and there's like uh a tie on my Capitown by Louis C.K. and Prince Paul. I'd love to have writing credits like that, though. I'd love to have to be the person like registering, you know, like copyrights and having to read that shit. They do have a Sign Your Pity on the Running Kind song. Yeah, it was tough to find. It was very uh, difficult to find this one. I uh, had to go out and break down and uh, go out on Discogs and find a copy. It was a little pricey but not as much as the dvd used to be yeah i'm i'm just glad that that home copies of it are affordable now (laughs) well i'm just hoping that you know criterion does the right thing and releases this finally 
We'll we'll probably get that right around the time they give us the director's cut of Freddy Got Fingered. I've tweeted it at Criterion and said, please do Pootie Tang. And you totally should put together the special features and the documentary and get a commentary. And With some of the choices they've been making lately? Sure. They won't even give us the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Why would they ever give us Pootie Tang? Now, if Wes Anderson made Pootie Tang... Then it would get crazy. Well, and then it would already be locked in before the theatrical release even. We could have been doing the audio commentary the whole time, fellas. That's true. I mean, all they got to do is just, you know, copy this over to the to the uh, 4K restoration. You know, maybe just trim out a couple lines and it'll it'll match up perfectly, I'm sure. Well, we'll be on the theatrically released version. They'll get Tim Lucas to do the extended version. Uh, let me throw something out there. It, you know, because I know a lot of people listen to this podcast. If anybody from a DVD company or Blu-ray company wants to buy Booty Tang or get the rights and release a special edition, get in touch with us. And I'm sure we will all happily reunite to record an audio commentary. So let's throw that out into the world. The three of us want to do an audio commentary for Booty Tang Blu-ray. Let's make it happen. Booty needs his historians. And who better than us three white guys? <laughs> <laughs> Larry's going to hear this, and he's going to get in touch with us, and he's going to say, okay, just you three. Sure. Sure he will. <laughs> I, I, and I wouldn't tell a soul. I, would, I wouldn't either. I would deny it to the end of my days if, if that was what Take it took. Take it to the grave. Maybe that'll be our next uh, April Fool's episode, is reviewing the longer version of, of Pootie Tang, just like how we did uh, The Day the Clown Cried all those years ago. That was uh, that one's still. I still think about that one every once in a while. <laughs> the funniest thing is, I think that episode actually got quoted by some like scholarly stuff, and they didn't realize that it was a joke. Well, that's how good a job you did, man. <laughs> that was a good one. It's half joke, half not joke, which I think helps. All the details are real, just you know, the movie not so much. <laughs> Knowing what it's supposed to be, you know, fills in the blanks at least. Well, thank you so much, Mike and Josh. Josh, what is keeping you busy down there in Texas? Just trying to keep my civil rights, <laughs> you know? that's uh, That's been fun. Uh, not a whole lot going on otherwise. I, I uh, do work uh, still at the uh, Alamo Draft House in the Houston area, which is a uh, franchise, so, you know, we're not directly connected to the main one. You can I know how I know the feelings that many have about the company, but our, our branch is pretty sweet. And I, uh, I think I've got good things in store there, like a real actual business title soon, which will be nice, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself on that. So that's been keeping me busy. You know, I'm on Facebook. I, I, uh, have my letterboxed, uh, I'll Twitter, all that stuff that you, you'll just drop in the links elsewhere because really all I do is, uh, use my letterboxed as a weird movie diary that reflects what's going on in my life at the time. And, uh, otherwise I'm, I've been thinking about getting into, into more critical work. I've actually been considering something about the link between like movies and old licensed video games and where you lose the artistry between there. That's fascinating, but that's going to take forever, but that might be a real project I work on someday. <laughs> but as it is right now, uh, just, just living my life. Hey Josh, thank you for not taking screen grabs of your letterbox reviews and then posting them on Twitter and Facebook. If I wanted to read your reviews, I would follow you on Letterboxd, which I think I do, so. <laughs> I'm still Letterboxd's number one LaQuisha reviewer for whatever that's <laughs> worth. 
<laughs> Forgot about that movie. I've tried to, but every couple <laughs> days, <laughs> another one pops up. <laughs> Any, anyone who, who goes in there, tread lightly, because it can go from legitimate criticism uh, to just, like, thirsting d- based on my mood. <laughs> You'll never know. Well, if you want to talk about busy, Mike McGranahan, you are probably busier than I am, which I really find amazing. So please tell the people all about you and what you do and where they can keep up with all of the work that you do. Uh, yeah, I'm a film critic. I run a website called The Isle Seat. The address is isleseat.com, as in sitting in an aisle seat. And uh, posting multiple movie reviews there every week. Some of the mainstream Hollywood movies, but I have a strong emphasis on smaller independent films. Cool little things that I like that I think other people might like. And you can find me on Twitter, at Isle Seat. And I do a lot of freelance work for Ranker, writing about movies. So you can find me there as well. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks especially to our Patreon community. If you want to join the community, visit patreon.com slash projection booth. Every donation we get helps the projection booth sign our pity on the running kind. Sign your pity on the running kind.
You be needing. 